and welcome to Got the Runs, the podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a team of 100 animators <laughs> attempting to bring a creative vision to life. Uh, I was wondering if you were going to try and avoid repeating whatever it was you did when we <laughs> did the comic. A grandmother and a bucket of cold water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, grandmother this and got a the bouquet run of <laughs> jasmine. Sure. Are you chewing gum right now? Let's no, just check I'm in quickly. swallowing a gummy bear. A uh-huh, gummy, yes. gummy worm, if you must know. Smart sweets, shout out, three grams of sugar in every bag. Wow, impressive. Yeah, great for those of us who love the flavor stimulation, but uh, have too many cavities to eat that much candy. <laughs> Truly vile. We cannot talk about candy again because we we just went over what was the the joke that like we've done three times now. Oh yeah, I sent you um, a clip from the first episode of our Brian K. Vaughn uh, Paper Girls, the first of three episodes. I made a reference to the Iraq, which right. we obviously have referenced several times <laughs> in this series. Each time explaining sure. it as if it was the first time. <laughs> Hilariously, though, in that case, we do not explain it. It just dropped as a reference and immediately moved fast. <laughs> I do specifically remember during that episode being like, we cannot take it aside to explain what <laughs> the Mad TV sketch, the Iraq, with Michael McDonald as Steve Jobs is. Uh, but fortunately, we found time. I believe in our Persepolis episode, we explained to Eric Stiller. <laughs> we definitely explained it. And we definitely watched, watched it, it after the episode. I, I don't think we explained it on the episode. I think we made a reference to it, asked him if he had seen it, and then watched it. And then in our last episode, did explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness. Um, well, that's germane to all of this discussion, because not only are we returning to Persepolis... Again, very strange order that we have worked out in these episodes. The timing works. Uh, uh, but we are not only returning to Persepolis, we are returning to the screen to... Mm. Is this the first time we've covered something that isn't a comic? It is, right? It is, Must yes. Be. Uh, the Persepolis feature film, uh, Wikipedia describes it as an adult animated biographical drama film. Mm, you've got my uh, attention. Co-directed by Marjan Satrapi and, I guess, Vincent Parno. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with a an all star cast, <laughs> <laughs> the cast is crazy. <laughs> yes, um, so let, let, let's start there because you watched the subtitle, the original French version with subtitles. I did. Correct? I watched the subtitle version. Shout out to Tubi, uh, free, no subscription required. Only three ads in ninety minutes, and none of them. I mean, I did have to sit through set, like multiple of the quest trade one where the guy looks like. I've committed a huge gaffe by suggesting that it's difficult to get a mortgage. Um, but other than that, <laughs> pretty no painless. No one understands this reference. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess that is quite a localized Ontario thing, eh? I certainly don't think any outside of Ontario listeners are familiar with Quest Trade. I get a lot of them. Yeah, Quest Trade is like a, a like self-service. Originally, it was sort of like a Robin Hood-esque self-service like stock trading app. They have kind of expanded over time to become sort of like a one-stop financial services shop, which now, as I learned several times while watching Persepolis, includes mortgages. Um, and this couple who looks like their siblings um, suggest that their friends must have uh, really been put through the ringer by their bank. Uh, and the couple's like, actually, 
we found a better way. And then there's like a five second shot of the guy <laughs> looking like he's just committed like the most grave social faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about the uh, the Folgers Christmas commercial? Uh, is that the one where they sing Our House? No, then no, not your, I don't. <laughs> not your favorite one. There's this. There's this famous Folgers commercial from like 15 years ago, mm-hmm. where it's about. I think the plot is that maybe the brother is like a soldier or something. But at oh. any rate, I believe the plot is that it's like Christmas Day, and like a brother has like come home and surprises his family, including and like it's it's a brother and a sister. Um. Like on Christmas, this does ring a bell. <laughs> but then everyone is like, "Why does it seem like the brother and the sister are going to have sex with each other?" <laughs> so. Anyways, so I watched Persepolis on Tubi. <laughs> uh, I did watch Tubi, huh? Yeah, I just wanted to do a little Tubi talk. That, oh yeah, uh, hit it. You know, just a classic free platform. Um, I was actually surprised. Like after I finished Persepolis, it was it was like up next one of these three, and I was like, like raising the remote before I was like, wait a second, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> I've, I've to gotten be. what I'm here for. <laughs> but I was like, this is a good selection. Like Tubi's not, it's no slouch. It's not your, it's not your average free, no subscription required service. I gotta say, right? It's not a crackle. With all no. due respect to crackle, but yeah. <laughs> Tubi, it's a very specific class of movie. I was very surprised that this movie in particular was on Tubi. Um, have, have you ever heard me talk about Burnt on Tubi? No. Uh, the Bradley Cooper chef movie Burnt is my go-to as the type of movie that would be on Tubi. <laughs> and so I often make the suggestion that it should be referred to as Burnt on Tubi in the same way that the TV show Love is referred to as Love on Netflix. <laughs> Uh, that is a very specific pull, Burnt, um, which is highly illustrative of Tubi, I feel. But not to, to be, be confused with No Reservations or with Chef. And not to be confused with Tubi or not Tubi. Sure. Um, anyway, so I watched Persepolis on Tubi, uh, just noting the time to cut all that. Um, I, I'm understanding here that the two um, adult Marjan and the mother are played by the same actresses in both versions which is right. uh Catherine Deneuve as mother and I'm not familiar with this actor is it Chiara that's what I would suggest or Chiara read? Mastriani the daughter of uh Catherine Deneuve right. uh, as Marjan yes and then I believe uh the French cast is quite star-studded as well i mean we'll get to the english cast um <laughs> but i know danielle Derrida is like a very you know considered one of like the great french movie stars and yeah, like an icon of french in cinema movies for like 80 years or whatever yeah um so yeah it, it's quite a loaded a loaded cast i mean i i was wondering kind of what the like where persepolis sort of was in the culture at this time so like it must have been like a hot property right because this is 2007 the movie they probably started working on it in like 2005 maybe i know animated movies take a while so yeah they were, it was probably like a big deal i think it was because as we discussed on the persepolis episode it was you know critically beloved um the comic that is from from day one and garnered many awards in france excuse me um and then had a similar sort of uh fetting 
although I don't think as as awarded, but at the English translation, obviously, well received. Uh, we we've talked about all that. Um, and two thousand seven, you know, it's far enough removed, certainly from book one, um, that the the success of it would parlay nicely into an animated movie. I did get the sense. I didn't do like a ton of background reading on this, but I did get the sense that the approach to satrapy was not necessarily let's make a Persepolis movie so much as it was like, do you want to direct a movie? And she was like, yes, I want to direct Persepolis the movie. And they were like, what if we didn't do that? And she was like, <laughs> no, we are going to do that. <laughs> yes. It, it's, that's so interesting to me because like we, I think we have talked about this a little bit, like her, I don't look at her work and immediately think, she should direct a movie and i mean like not that there's anything to say like she shouldn't direct a movie but Mm -hmm. is like was it something that she professed interest in i wonder is it something where people were just like i don't know like she has like an original voice or something i don't know i guess like it, it is kind of what we've talked about before maybe that it's like you made a comic book that was like given mainstream attention and respect and so now you're allowed to like graduate from comic books and you get to make a movie or something like that yeah i i didn't really see a whole ton about sort of like the genesis of the project and we've talked a little bit about her sort of um you know transition into other fields all all i really know about it is that um she was passionate about doing persepolis when they were she she never really seriously considered doing a live action version because she wanted the the sort of like iconic elements of the characters to not not have people look at them and be like I'm looking at like an Iranian person but to look at them and be like I'm looking at a little girl um so she never really seriously considered live action and then with the sort of like it's it's traditionally animated like hand-drawn cells so when the like magnitude of (laughs) that amount of work was sort of presented to the producers that was when they were kind of like or we could do anything else like i could write you an original (laughs) script or we could do that or you know what have you um but she was she was quite adamant how the project exactly was initiated i'm not sure whether they were whether they were wanting to do um persepolis specifically with her or whether they just wanted her to direct yeah i'm not sure but uh but persepolis is what we got yeah and even even it being what it is like it is kind of surprising how much sort of latitude it feels like she was given based on, you know, the sort of accounts of how the movie was made. Cause like, you know, usually I feel like when someone is just getting brought into the film world is when they are sort of being forced to make a lot of these concessions. And it feels like to me, I mean, we haven't gotten into any of her further movie work, but certainly like she seems from what I've read of like her writing and all this other stuff, she seems very like iconoclastic and very sort of single-minded and so it is it's not surprising in some ways that she was able to like sort of get her ideal result out of this but it is kind of surprising that like people were willing to bend to her even though she was already very respected obviously Mm -hmm. and it's also amusing too because when you see that it's co-directed i think the assumption would be that they paired her with a more experienced director but pair no like it's just another comic book guy. <laughs> like he's he's another like French cartoonist, basically. So it's it's not necessarily even a case of like you know she she managed to work with someone who's a more experienced director, and together they you know they managed to produce this movie that both like is technically competent and captures her vision. It's like no, they got 
him and or they got her and uh and another cartoonist and together they like successfully made an animated movie which you yeah. know like you you have seen increasingly i think the extent to which um like the visual storytelling of comics is recognized as sort of the precursor to um the visual storytelling of film with things like um like they published the storyboards for parasite basically as a as a comic they just like added the dialogue in uh essentially um and and like some captions and things like that so i think and and many comic artists begin their careers as storyboard artists or do stints as storyboard artists or it's it's kind of right there with animation as far as sort of like one of the rich grounds from which you can pull um comics artists or to which they move eventually but anyway so all that to say it makes sense that like you know when you're working with an adaptation of a comic you basically already have you know every scene laid out and like every shot composed in some senses before you even start right especially with animation where it's like there is like more of a direct one-to-one rather than you're recreating a shot and you have to find a location and things like that but yeah like by far the most extensive part of the wikipedia page is like just talking about the animation and like it seems like it was a very difficult process to like i guess partly because they had not worked it with like feature-length animation before and then also the animators themselves had difficulty like translating satrapy's art to the animated medium which is very interesting because like what they sort of talk about is that be- almost because it's so simple that's what makes it so difficult because like the imperfections become very obvious especially like it's very simple line art and then it's being blown up to like a mm-hmm. cinema screen size mm-hmm. and so that is i guess what gave them difficulty i mean i think it's a good looking movie for the most part like it it definitely it captures like the character of her art for sure yes definitely there are parts where it feels a little bit like like an episode of arthur <laughs> i think <laughs> partly because Marjan young Marjan kind of looks like dw i think <laughs> that's that could be part of it i was interested watching it i think i uh while perusing the wikipedia page <laughs> check out check out the persepolis film wikipedia page everyone um saw that they were kind of trying to evoke the like shadow theater vibe with all of the black and white scenes which was something that had occurred to me even while i was watching it i was like this looks it's i think the thing that really hit it for me is there's a part where um I can't remember if it's one of the war scenes or if it's a dream she's having, but there's like waves like cresting in the front of the screen. And it literally looks like pro- like cardboard paper props being like dragged along the bottom of the <laughs> right. screen, basically. Um, so, so I thought that was like an impressive effect to have achieved and a good sort of like direction to go once they decided that they wanted to keep it in black and white. Yeah, which is like, I, we talked about that a lot in the last two episodes that like, the use of negative space, the sort of black against white, and especially like white against black that she sort of uses like the white figures silhouetted against the black background. Like it makes a lot of use of that. I think one of the big sort of changes visually that I noticed was the use of a lot of like flickering and fading, um, which obviously is something that like is difficult. It it takes a lot of panels to like do a fade of anything um, in on paper basically. Uh, But I thought that was a big, a big sort of part of, 
how they achieved that shadow theater effect, which you could never really do on the page, is having like the the flickering of the light, or like in the scene where she's kind of summarizing the Iran Iraq War, and and you see like the soon to be martyrs charging across the field, and every time one of them blows up, they kind of like break up and then sort of like dissolve, um, mm-hmm. and and fade into the background. That's the kind of thing that really you can only do in in an animated uh, medium as opposed to on the page. Um, so I, I just thought that was something that was cool and was a big, I guess not a big visual change, but just something that you can't really accomplish, uh, on paper. Yeah. And some of the, you, you sent me a video of this one, (laughs) (laughs) this very classic, this is the kind of thing we love. And I don't even really know how to describe it. Like it's, 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 it's like, like the circle, like circle wipe, I guess, where it like zeroes into onto just her face. I actually thought it was kind of a cool little framing shot because it looks exactly like how she looks when she has to put on the veil for one second. Right. It like perfectly encircles her face and then it like slightly comes back out again and then completely closes <laughs> to, to do like the black dissolve and then starts the next scene. Um, and I laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and she is, of course, doing the it's a living face. Yeah, she it, it's like straight out of like Mickey Mouse or like Looney Tunes or something yeah, like that. That's what I was going to say is that like the, the other editions, like it feels very like classical animation in yeah. some ways that like the, because the, because the work is so simple, I think that also like they were, it seems like they were taking inspiration from like a more simple classical era of cartooning as well. And sort yeah. of like projecting that onto it, which it, I think I think it works sometimes. I think, but I also I think like maybe like is that part good or do we just find it funny because we are into that kind of joke? Yeah, that's hard to say. I did I did think that overall it had like that that kind of resulted in a much more um, like comedic tone to the whole thing outside of like the very very lowest moments. I think the only parts I can think of where there's like no kind of like cheek or irony to it at all are the scenes where they're depicting like the actual war and like the deaths of the the soldiers uh or the protesters or what have you uh is one another is uh when she tries to overdose or when she does overdose and the other would be i guess like when she's like on the street right before she goes to the hospital every other point even when it's kind of like sad there's still like an injection of sort of comedic elements, like the big scene, which I kind of think of as the sort of like emotional climax in some ways when her grandmother chews her out for escaping by accusing some like bystander of, of harassing her and and laughs about it. Like, you know, she gives her big dramatic rant and then like slams the door and then like pops back in again (laughs) and and, like, you know, delivers another jab and then slams the door again. And I was like laughing pretty hard at it. It's like, I'm surprised that like they want to go, you know, they want to inject some comedy into a scene like this. And I found that like often, like I said, there were very few scenes that I felt were played like 100% totally straight, like no levity in it whatsoever yeah and the, the one i think of to sort of your point is the the scene where she's living in vienna and it's like she talks about how like going to the grocery store was like her only activity mm-hmm. and like there, there's there's sort of like a little like montage sequence where it's like she's going to the grocery store again she's going <laughs> to the grocery store again i think that's played much more like light-heartedly or humorously than it is in the original because like i mean i guess it's sort of achieving the same effect because there is some degree of humor to it like just the observation that like her social activity is going to the grocery store i think is like an inherently humorous observation even though it is a dark one 
but I feel like maybe this is a segue to us sort of talking about the length of the movie and like what they were able to include and what they were not able to include is like I associate that part of the comic with sort of this like overwhelming sense of like ennui and like loneliness and like the way that sort of like that repetitive activity sort of grows into like this crushing weight on you Mm -hmm. whereas like in this one I think it is played a little more lightly even though you know it is depicting the same thing essentially that like she doesn't have any contact like she doesn't have any friends things like that and then I think overall in terms of the length I think it was I think it's a problem (laughs) is what I'll say I I agree I'll tell you so when it got to the point where she was heading to Europe I checked the time and it was halfway through and I was like oh I guess they're only doing like book one of of like you know the english translation was one and two and as i was thinking about that premise kind of like preparing for the second half i was like i think they really should have just done book one like the french version like this should be the end of the movie um right is is like her going off to vienna and then the other like in some ways i think you could almost fit the other three parts into another 90 minute feature but i was kind of like i i do think there's an element of like I think a light bit of fictionalization would help just in terms of, I guess, like the literary enjoyment of it for me. Um, not to say that like, I, I felt this a little bit in the comic, which is like very episodic, but it's much more tangible in the movie where like, even like some of the major episodes are, are kind of truncated so that they can fit as much in as possible. And like important bits, like her visit with her old friend, um, who has been like disabled by the war and and kind of like reminds her that life is worth living basically is so so brief and and like some of like the stuff with uncle anoush who's really only in one scene basically i was kind of like we could use probably like four or five times as much uncle anoush in this movie but then i was thinking about it and i was like then isn't that basically just Belfast? <laughs> like, is, does this movie just become <laughs> Belfast? Literally with, like, the, like, colorized, <laughs> you know, interludes signifying <laughs> the present day and then the black and white, like, flashbacks and, like, how how do you approach that in a way that doesn't then seem kind of like just a trite, pat, coming-of-age story that we've seen, like, a million times? And I do think that the subject matter is unique enough that it's doable, but I can I can appreciate sort of like the tension between like how much do we make this kind of an emotional story and how much do we try and accomplish like basically getting in the whole story. I, I think we probably just appreciate the material enough that we're like more, more, like <laughs> no one's no one's gonna be sad if you do like if you spend more time on things, but But then but I I was talking to someone this week because I just mentioned, you know, obviously I as you know, I sort of run with a lot of people who are very into movies and Mm -hmm. much more into them than I. And so I was talking to someone who had seen the movie and not the comic, uh, my friend Daniel, maybe I can pull up his review, but like he basically said the exact same thing that like, it feels like we're focusing on the wrong things here. And I think that is like probably one of like, you know, cause I I thought this overall, I thought it was an okay movie, but I I think it is like a pretty dramatic (laughs) failing in some ways of like capturing what the work is just because like it's so truncated that you're you're just hitting plot beats right and so when you have a 90 minute movie and 20 minutes of it is like explaining like what's the deal with iran like what's the history like my grandmother is telling me the story of like the shah and all this Mm -hmm. stuff 
when that's like a quarter of the movie instead of like <laughs> this is setting <laughs> like the table minutes. yeah <laughs> yeah this is setting the table and then we're dropping you into iran and you're like getting a full sense of it i, th- I think the biggest problem is that like what it what i think is great about persepolis is that it feels so lived in and it, like i think we talked about this on the episode like it feels like a complete picture of a life it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a story that is being created for the purpose of like hitting story beats and i think that they kind of try to put it into that box of like we sort of talked about before like this is like an important story about a woman from iran like mm-hmm. this is culturally and politically significant and so the part we should be focusing on is like that she's from iran and like isn't all this stuff crazy and like all, all of that stuff about the war and stuff which is very expressly not her intention yeah i i was just thinking in terms of like when you if you hear the elevator pitch for the movie it's basically like oh it's like the story of a girl coming of age during like the iranian revolution but then if you watch the movie it's like is it because it's the actual like iranian revolution part is very brief and then it's more kind of about her coming of age during like the iran iraq war and then really it's actually about her coming of age in Austria (laughs) and then like coming back to Iran as a person who has come of age and like struggling with that, like sort of like you can never go home feeling. Whereas I think like why I also am sort of like we, it just, it needs to end with her going to, to Vienna is because it feels so much more aligned with what Satrapi has always said, like is kind of the point of the book, which is to show audiences who are not from Iran that like life in Iran is not what they imagine it to be and that is achieved I think much more effectively if we have a lot more time of like 13 year old Marjan at school or like like turn that like five second clip where she goes to buy the Iron Maiden tape that should be like a five minute scene where like you know we we see her kind of like discovering american music or you know i'm i'm obviously pitching sort of the most obvious version because i'm i'm not a writer i'm a, a, a dd who talks about you know movies on his podcast but but i think something like that you know all all of those scenes to me they feel like the skeleton of the scene that should actually be there and that 45 minute move, like first half should be like a 100 minute like full film that ends with her leaving for vienna so i'm I'm just reading like i said my my good friend daniel foster what he says is that it focuses on the conventional coming of age beats while relegating the bizarre anecdotes and cultural specificity to single lines in a voice and we could talk about the voiceover in a second but in a voiceover that doesn't really cohere with the rest of the story which i think is and again he hasn't read the comic so i think what he's feeling is sort of that that lack of like a full body or like Mm -hmm. a full a full depiction of a world and so like you know things things become things i think they things become anecdotes or like the depiction of iran becomes made up of these anecdotes which in a sense i guess is what the book is that it's like it's giving you like a series of episodes that sort of paint this cohesive picture. Mm-hmm. But I think once once you're truncating episodes or scenes into moments, that that's when it becomes like you're skipping from moment to moment. You're losing the connective tissue that turns it like from a skeleton into a body, if I can use right. that metaphor. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with that, essentially. Um, and, and I think that like, 
that's why I say like I think it could use a little bit of light fictionalization because and and I mean she has always kind of said like it's not an autobiography per se like it's not events exactly as they happened but I think it could use still like even some more fleshing out where it's like do I remember like every kind of like incident that happened at school probably not like I would struggle to come up with any salient stories about when I was in like seventh grade that you know have a bearing on my life today too but I think that like you can look back and say like you know do I remember exactly what happened no but I can think of stories that like uh, it could have happened or that happened to a friend of mine or that I heard about you know I met like another expat a few years ago and they told me this story that has like stuck with me you know I think there's plenty of avenues to flesh those segments out a bit more and I think that if they had gone into it with the goal not of adapting the full comic but of like trying to achieve the goal of the comic and, and show kind of like what life in Iran at that time was really like for a young girl it would be a, a stronger sort of achievement of what I think she wants to accomplish with the comic and maybe does want to accomplish with the, the film as well. But I think the comic is more successful in that regard, for sure. Yeah. And another thing that just sort of came to me while I was watching it is I think that this would maybe be you could make a better version of this now, maybe just because adult animation has like sort of taken over, starting with the. That guy over in Quahog, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> that really got you. Um, but yeah, the, uh, just like uh. truly that like, I mean, like I haven't seen Loving Vincent, but like that comes to mind as like an artistic film and like a serious film about something that is like not not for adults per se. Like it's mm-hmm. not adult in the way that family guy is adult <laughs> right but it's like that like can be serious and doesn't have to sort of inject the levity but then i i sort well, of the, the levity well, is kind cause... of the point to a certain extent as well right is, is like yeah. showing like this wasn't all like doom and gloom and tragedy for me every second of my life like we like we laughed it was funny and and you know she talks about it more seriously in the adult sort of section after her return and saying like we forgot that we weren't free because like we were so we were so desperate to have peace we forgot we weren't free but that feels stronger i think if we see more of kind of like what it meant to be happy in tehran at that time yeah and not obviously not to say that it can't have levity because you're right that that is such an important piece of the book but i i just feel like stylistically it's sort of trying to find some sort of middle ground between the book which like again like it has moments of levity, but I feel like they're coming more from an adult perspective. It's, I think what makes the book interesting is sort of how, like, it's an adult perspective on, like, the way that a child saw the world in some ways. And maybe with this movie, it's more just, like, coming from the perspective of a child in a more, like, traditional animated movie kind of way mm-hmm. that makes that makes you lose some of that perspective, maybe. Yeah, I do think that like the world is more ready for uh, a Persepolis yeah. movie that is just about her her childhood, and I think like I I mean like the Pixarification of like animation is probably a big part of that. Where it's not just that like now more sort of like artistically deep or meaningful animated products exist that are like for adults, but also that like adults have kind of like come come to terms with the fact that like even children's animation is is really more like all ages animation in the truest sense as mm-hmm. far as sort of having that like full like 
if you if you're old enough to like speak in full sentences you'll probably enjoy this regardless of whether that means you're like six or like 87 you know our, our grandmother uh <laughs> lovingly sat down and, and enjoyed luca at age like 99 i guess she was that <laughs> that that uh you know and that was again that was like with our family who you would be the, have been the youngest person in attendance at that time um in your mid-20s and like we sat down and watched luca and enjoyed it uh, not to say that that like never happened in 2007 but i do think that there's a higher level of appreciation for animation um or or it's not even that it's people appreciate animation it's that animation i think has come a long way in shaking the stigmatization of being inherently childish or inherently less less serious or less meaningful or less valuable as a way to tell the story where you can sit down and watch luca and the fact that it's animated doesn't really swing you one way or the other on whether or not it's a good story and then also, like, what's interesting as you're saying that, because, like, I do think at least, like, the first half sort of would almost make a good Pixar movie in some ways. Like, maybe not some of the more, like, serious parts where you're, like, you're digging into, like, the specifics of the war and, like, mm-hmm. because, like, it does touch on, like, quite serious subjects, even though, like we said, it is full of levity. But, like, I think that sort of sense of, like, that sense of discovery that sense of putting you in the shoes of someone who's in a world that is probably not a world that you are familiar with and then sort of like showing you the ropes in that way and like sort of showing you like the ups and the downs of that other place which i think again like that is her sort of stated purpose is like she does she wants to sort of demonolithize iran as like not being something where like you think of the politics or you think of like the religion or anything like that like that you see it as a a full thing it reminds me of what i guess less so it's more like main branch disney than pixar but what they are trying to accomplish in many ways with movies like encanto and like is it raya or raya and the last dragon i haven't raya. seen that movie yet raya and the last dragon um and and even to a certain extent like the mulan remake things like that where it is you know they not to say that this is the first these are the first times that they have had like non-white female leads, which obviously is not true, but that they are more so trying to make it uh, like a culturally, I guess, like meaningful portrayal of those characters and, and show, but, but even then it's kind of like, it's funny because Disney's goal with a lot of those is like, we want to show sort of like the culture as it is and for it to be like recognizable to people from those cultures whereas her goal is very much like I want to show you how familiar this culture would actually be to you and how much of like I bet you didn't know that like I was listening to Michael Jackson in the 80s or that I was listening to Iron Maiden in the 80s growing up in in Iran like that is in some ways almost like contrary to to Disney's goal of like showcasing the diversity of it she's she's interested in showcasing sort of like how familiar um the culture would actually be yeah i think that's a really interesting point because like the persepolis is a book that is depicting iran while also being i think pretty expressly for a western audience and i think that sort of gets back to a lot of what we talked about on the original episode that like this is this is something that in a way is trying to educate people that like is trying to show people something that they haven't seen like you know, there was some level of accessibility and popularity in Iran for for the film, at least. I was reading that, like, they had, like, screenings and things like that. But 
I think generally speaking, it's more about showing showing a an outsider perspective what it is like inside than it is like you said like I think a lot of the purpose of like you know inclusive or diversity focused art nowadays is to be like this is a depiction of what people in this culture or people of this group will recognize which is you know I I don't think not I don't think that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing but I think that Mm -hmm. people you know like it's it's definitely different goals yeah exactly but, but back to the original point about it being sort of a Pixar or a Disney feeling, I think then what makes it maybe feel off kilter is because it feels like it's in the zone or at its best when it is doing that, especially because like we talked about, like it has those sort of nods to classical animation and like it feels very like classical, again, not kids, but sort of family, all ages, like has those moments of humor that are very universal and then you get into, like, the Vienna part of it, which is, like, a very, like, can be depressing and is sort of, like, the, like, confrontation of adulthood in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and has those feelings of, like, ennui and unhappiness and things like that. What I would wonder is if you're going to make a movie the whole thing, and I think you're right that it would maybe work better as two parts, although I, I'm sure that they would, like, let's get this <laughs> done, get baby. One, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think what maybe maybe we're like, I think why not trunk, why not choose that part as the part that you truncate and focus more on Iran. And then this is sort of like the dip, like the second act or like Mm -hmm. end of the second act dip where it's like, I'm falling into like this depression. And then you have the return to Iran as sort of the third act. And like you cut your sort of not to be too hero's journey, but, mm. but like you're coming back to your sort of starting position with this new perspective. And again, maybe part of it is just that it doesn't fit into a neat three act kind of structure that we expect it to. Mm-hmm. And that maybe like damages its ability to be like a conventional 90 minute movie. Right. And, and I think that is also part of why I, again, feel like a little bit more fictionalization. Like it, it, it is really ultimately a pacing issue, I think, in in my view. Yeah, just just the, the vignette nature of, uh, of the comic, which works better, in my opinion, does not suit as well to a 90-minute feature where you might expect a more sort of traditional structure to the story. But it's funny because I think that in a lot of ways, the Vienna part also is quite truncated. Really, all of it is quite truncated, I think, because of the yeah. pacing issues. And like I said, when it when we hit 45 minutes and she was about to go to Vienna, I was like, oh, we must only be doing book one because I assumed that she would be in Vienna for the rest of the movie and that the framing sequence we had seen was her returning from Vienna and that that which which I guess it was. Or no, no, that was her arriving in France for the first time. So, so yeah, I thought initially I thought the framing sequence that we were seeing was going to be where the movie ended, which it was. But I thought that was the return to Iran the first time, not the ultimate departure. And and so I sort of figured like now we're going to be in Vienna for the next forty five minutes basically um, until until it ends with her return to Iran. So like truncating it more than it already is like. I, it's I don't know it's tricky because in some ways I think that is the weakest part of the movie in part because it is already so truncated and because it feels so removed from sort of the 
the the elevator pitch or the thesis statement of the movie and and i feel like it needs more time to sort of more fully communicate what she ultimately talks about when she's back in iran about i i wasn't at home there i'm not i wasn't at home in europe and now i'm back and i'm still not at home like i think that she does a much better job of sort of communicating the immigrant experience in the comic during the vienna segment and that 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 is largely absent from the film so yeah like just thinking about like how would how would i pack the full thing into 90 minutes like i don't know if you can or if you should and and i don't know if there's like a better 90 minute version of what they did because yeah as i think back on it i'm kind of just like i wanted more of everything i wanted all three segments to be longer because because there's so much missing sort of detail and and like life from that that we might have expected to see or hoped to see from the comic or like brief references to sections of the comic that are quite a bit longer and are some of like the most impactful sections where like you know uncle anoush gets his his time but it's really just the one scene i think that's probably the closest in terms of those those sort of longer sections and and the rest a lot has to either happen kind of like off screen or unfold in sort of a montage or these these various techniques to kind of squeeze everything in yeah this is all a long way of saying either (laughs) either i don't think you can really change much um if you're wanting to include everything or i think you would probably need to cut a lot more and focus on just like a few pivotal aspects of each of the three sort of sections of her life it is i mean i think we sort of keep coming back to like I think what we keep like butting up against or like what we find difficult about this book in some ways is that it resists compartmentalization in that way. Mm-hmm. But then also like it does it it is a very accessible work as well that like it it feels like you could recommend to anyone that they read it, which is sort of something we talked about uh in the previous episodes. But yeah, it just it it's not conventionally narratively structured but then it has that sort of convention it has like conventional thematic and plot elements being that like coming of age story and so i can see how someone looks reads persepolis and thinks that there should be a movie of it but then Mm -hmm. in some ways it's like it is not unadaptable but like there is a lot of difficulty in adapting that story because it's so fleshed out and like it's like the parts that mean the least are almost like the most important, if that makes sense. Like the thing, like if it, because I think what this is, is just a summation of like A to B to C. These are the moments that caused me to grow up. Like, mm-hmm. I think it really, really resists that kind of thing. Like it, it, it resists a climactic scene. It right. resists a, like a cl- big action or a big, I, you know, even though it depicts an overdose, like it doesn't ha- it doesn't really to me at least feel like it has that moment and I'm talking about the book here mm-hmm. that it has that moment of like and then I swore I would never have a pill again and I dumped them all in the sink and there's a shot of me washing them down the sink and mm-hmm. like it it resists that sort of dramatization so heavily that I think that when you try and like formulate a three act structure around it it's like well no like this wasn't like the climax and we're not and i'm now going to like come back a changed woman this is just like this is another thing that happened in my life and but and really like the things that will cause you to most understand what like things were like is like like i guess this is maybe one way to put it it's not the story about 
when the police pulled them over and they smelled their and they smelled the alcohol in their breath and we had to go and dump all of the alcohol in the toilet or whatever mm-hmm. it's like it's the parties themselves like right <laughs> the existence of a party under like an oppressive regime and like that that being like the way that we sort of found a like outlet for our feelings i think that is more important than like but then the regime came and they did this like yeah. it's more about it's more about the freedoms right. which is sort of something you talked about earlier there was a section a party scene that i thought did a good job of balancing them yeah. and that was the the kind of the final one where we see them partying and we see the regime show up and we see sort of like the fallout of having that party and and i think that section does a good job of counterbalancing the like you know the like this is what makes life worth living but these are like the consequences of it and how that leads her to sort of the decision of like the consequences are not worth it to for for me to be here and like now it's time for me to leave like for all for for good and all like i can no longer be here because you know her her friend dies in the pursuit uh, trying to jump between the buildings like i think that section does a really good job of it but Again, this is why I, I sort of think we need more room for all of that stuff because I do think that like the regime is still an important element. It's 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 about that contrast between like, you know, the parties are so, mm-hmm. you know, lively and and raucous and familiar and then you step out into the street and there's someone with a gun who's like, is that alcohol on your breath? It, it's it's that sort of like juxtaposition I think is where the real meat of it is. But it's difficult when you're relating these kind of episodes to navigate that tension in a way that feels effective. It's either like it was lively and good or it's like it was oppressive and bad, but like just not enough of it kind of in direct relation to each other and showing how the the lively and good elements interact with it or counterbalance or lead to the oppressive elements of it. Like, I, th- I think that's what's what's ultimately missing. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think that that's just, like, it cannot depict, like, a full picture of life. Because, like, even if you think about, like, the way the regime is, like, talked about and thought of in the book, like, sometimes it feels like a very real and immediate threat. Sometimes it feels like an annoyance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like this is something to be mocked or, like, something that we are sort of flaunting readily. But that, that's kind of like, though, I think, uh, power structures in anyone's life, right? Like, you can mm. say the same thing about, like, uh, you know, obviously we, ha- I assume, have primarily had, like, positive or, or neutral interactions with law enforcement. But there's a big difference between, you know, sitting in a bar with your friends and, like, making fun of cops and, like, getting pulled over the 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 obviously like the differences in sort of like what you expect or or how you relate to police in those instances that's that's sort of part of it in some ways is that like yes it there was danger and sometimes it was very immediate and sometimes it was much more lethal than anything you would expect to encounter in north america but other times it did feel very mostly just distant and annoying and we talked about you know having someone like tell us to tie our veil tighter with like a very implicit strong implicit threat of violence that was like not that different from how you might talk about how it's like annoying to wait in line at the passport office it's a book that is full of those contradictions or maybe not contradictions might not be the right word but like it's such a multifaceted portrayal of like every of like and like that applies not just to the regime but to like everything in life like her relationship with her parents like mm-hmm. sometimes her parents are comforters sometimes her parents are like revolutionaries yeah sometimes her parents are like guiding her sometimes they are like putting her somewhere where she doesn't want to be and like there's so many dimensions 
because like it is a life (laughs) and i feel like i just keep coming back to that that it's like she is depicting such a full life and that is what i think is great about persepolis is that it depicts life and the ways that we can sort of see things from so many different perspectives and Mm -hmm. that like depending on the situation people can be different things to us and i just think that that's so hard to get to and i think that like not to make a cute reference but like i feel like that's what makes the movie feel kind of flat and i think it does feel like sort of like animationally (laughs) flat as well at times but i think like that sort of like it like it just like flattens out the the dimensionality of it to some extent yeah i was thinking about it after i finished it so there's there's the scene where like her father and mother come home from uh like being at a protest and his his dad is talking about like oh like those bastards they destroyed my film like they took my camera and the grandmother's saying like like oh margie was like so excited and so worried she's been like marching around chanting like down with the shawl all night and like we see a couple of times images of sort of like the protests uh depicted and i was just thinking about it in terms of like the the like current historical moment and like some of the images you see in the ukraine right now and thinking like there are probably very similar scenes that you see in some of those photos where like there's a tank driving by and someone's like got their phone up and then they probably go home and like the their their mother is watching their kid and saying like what happened like did did anything happen are you okay like you know but it's it it feels like we shouldn't need to have such a sort of like pertinent example immediately at hand in order to kind of like get that effect i guess if that makes sense yeah it's it's sort of like what i was saying about like reaching for moments and like mm-hmm. trying to find like you're they're trying to draw the moments out of the book and i feel like that can sort of like make them end up feeling a little trite that it's like here's like here's an important moment <laughs> it's basically like like that's what all the scenes are because you're going through a whole like however long book and you're pulling out like the here the important moments moments mm-hmm. and so that just makes every scene be like here's an important moment yeah or or i think like part of it also is that not all of the moments are important moments so like there's the there's like the whole little episode where you know her friends chase the kid whose dad is in the secret police with nails and i'm like i don't think that's really like an important moment from her life if if that makes sense but it's depict you know i think it's like it's like we want a scene where we depict like how kids respond to this like we want a scene where like the parents are worried about xyz like they're sort of trying to i think they are trying to create the dimensionality by showing each facet of things but when you're sort of only have like when you only have the one scene that's depicting sort of like they're trying to give every character and every sort of storyline it's due mm-hmm. but then that ends up being it, it, it like you said it ends up with everything feeling like it's too short rather than feeling like everything was covered it it confuses me sometimes what things they chose to include because i feel like if they had only been going for sort of like every important moment there would be different sort of collections of vignettes that are included versus discluded or certain vignettes would have gotten more time than they actually did um and it kind of like left me scratching my head a little bit at times about like which how did they decide which elements to include and which to exclude and sort of are we looking for what's important in terms of 
this this is important in terms of its impact on Marjan, like the individual, the person, like from the memoir side of things. Are they important because they're historically important in sort of like the the direction and history of Iran at the time? Are they important in terms of uh, like how they affected the family? It's it's just hard to tell sometimes with some of the moments what or or are they important in terms of depicting kind of like the culture the cultural moment and the the sort of identifiability it feels like if there had been maybe a more focused goal sort of like what we have already talked about in terms of like feeling like the element of showing you know what what it was like to be a young girl in Tehran and how both strange and familiar the culture was if that had been more sort of like the singular focus it would have been easier for them to pick which moments to include. If the focus had been sort of like, here is a like brief history of the Iranian revolution through the eyes of a young girl, it becomes easier to choose which moments to include. If it's like the story of a family, it, it becomes easier to choose which moments to include. But because it's trying to be all of those things, it, you end up with a hodgepodge of different moments and it becomes hard to feel like they're all important because they are important in different ways that are not always easy to sort of balance. And it's hard to feel like, you know, the moment she discovered Iron Maiden is as important as the moment that, you know, she found her friend's like hand poking out of the rubble of her bombed house without sort of like a clear narrative structure to to link those things and really, I guess, like kind of take take a look at the tension between those things of of like both of these things can be happening simultaneously. And like the just sort of like the the surreality of that, and also the the sort of like mundanity of that of like yes, like one day you can find your friend's body on the street, and the next you can like you know feel rebellious because you painted "punk is not dead" on your jacket. And I think that that maybe causes even more frustration in some ways because I think what is most effective about the book is that it doesn't have to have a focus. Mm-hmm. The fact that the fact that the book doesn't is not like about one thing, then makes it like the fact that the movie is sort of trying to do that and not doing it as successfully maybe makes it more frustrating. That like in in Persepolis, it, it's like oh this is impressive. Like it it doesn't have to pick a lane to like present all of these things, but then at this it's like <laughs> this is frustrating <laughs> because it doesn't pick a lane and that's like that's to its detriment yeah i i do think that part of it just to before we before we move Mm. on i think that part of it is just in terms of our sort of like preferences we we just tend to like stories that are either very like big and grand or very small and personal and when as you know when something is doing both we kind of don't know exactly how to feel about it so like i was thinking about this in contrast to another series of like so I've been reading um, the series, the Paul books by Michelle Rabagliotti, who is a Canadian cartoonist. And Paul That's is about his, a, a little alien. Yeah, yeah. Paul is this alien who's come from outer space, and they're they're Simon trying to like, help Frost. him find a home. No, Paul. But he is, also kind of um, likes weed. Yeah, he does. Is my impression he of that does movie. like that green, that good, good green. I get Paul and Ted confused a lot. I was about, <laughs> I was about to bring up Ted. <laughs> uh... Um. But no. Hey, do you Paul... know about, do you know about Father Stu? <sighs> is it about Stewie as a grown up? <laughs> you wish. Is Although, there an episode where we see Stewie as a grown yes, up? Yes, Stewie Griffin, the Untold Story. I believe he goes to the future now. Uh, That's the one with Bertrand, right? E- no. 
I can't talk about Bertrand right now. <laughs> okay, sorry. We carry must on. Talk about well, Stu, just... brother Stu, father Stu. <laughs> father Stu is a movie about Mark Wahlberg. It's not about Mark Wahlberg, but it stars Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and it is about, it's the true story of a boxer turned Catholic priest, Father Stuart Long. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Back to Ex Machina. The boxing priest just is a thing it's a thing i don't know why it's a thing maybe father stew is the reason it's a thing but the boxing priest i don't i i could like write a phd on this at some point like the trope (laughs) of like the warrior monk or or like you know it's it's such an archetype that manifests in such a weird way in stories about new york as the boxing i was gonna say like the like working class Catholic New York, I f- or like Boston, I feel like is like yeah. the sort of the linking, the connective tissue there. <sighs> so like liberal arts universities, like you've got our email. I would love to come and do some work on this project. <laughs> sure, but you were talking about the other Paul. I was talking about the other Paul. Yes. So Paul, is, like I I can't call it a memoir because it's too fictionalized, but Paul. is like ultimately a stand-in for Rebagliati and like it is about his life basically uh, as like a I I came across it I had never heard of it before this year and I read an article that described it as the great Canadian novel and it was not like by like a comics outlet it was like a real (laughs) not not to shade comics outlets there's some great journalism and and academic comics you know publications but 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 it was was one of those things where it was like this comic's actually kind of a book when you think about it it kind of yeah it was like if you haven't read paul like you must it is the great canadian novel um and it is just like a slice of life book about being like a montrealer from like 1971 to like 2018 um and it follows him throughout his whole life and it's like so obviously rooted in fact but there's enough like fictionalization that each part of it 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 just carries a bit more of that like kind of sentimental weight and that that emotionalism that you get out of sort of like purely fiction sort of like slice of life stories or or smaller dramas like those those sort of like intimate human stories and it it uses sort of like the actual fact of his life to imbue it with that that sort of truth and then fictionalizes it to keep it sort of like structurally coherent and and it just like more more literary i guess than something like persepolis or, or even than mouse which are just straight memoir and watching the movie i was kind of like it would it would benefit i think from being a like kind of inspired by life fictional story more so than it does from just being straight memoir at least in the case of the movie Right, but then it's like if you do adapt the movie in that way, like, are you getting away? From well, the yeah, because because that that's sort of the trick of it is that it is an adaptation, right? Because I wouldn't necessarily say like she shouldn't have done Persepolis. She should have done something like the Paul books that are like fictionalized memoirs that are are like you know somewhere between slice of life and memoir. I don't think that's true. Like, I think the fact that it is the true story of right. her life is what makes it important and and that her life you know like rebaliati has lived through some interesting historical moments just in terms of like the flq crisis and things like that but nothing on the scale of like the the events that form the background of the the backdrop of persepolis so it makes more sense because it it, you know he has lived a pretty ultimately Mm -hmm. like in the grand scheme of things he has lived a very mundane life and the 
value of it is at least in part from the fictionalization and how that allows him to sort of like relate the the emotions and the lessons learned from that life versus Persepolis where like the the reality of it is so critical to kind of everything about it so yeah it, all, all that to say like they sh- they can't do that with the movie because they're adapting an existing work and they shouldn't have done the work differently because of all that stuff that I just said. So right. it is kind of an impossible situation where we're asking it to be something it's not while also acknowledging that it could never have been that. <laughs> yeah. It has to be something different while also being a faithful adaptation of the work, which is like yeah. a sort of contradiction in terms. Um, quickly, the use of voiceover, mm-hmm. because I think it's interesting because, and then, and also I want to talk about the English cast real quick, <laughs> um, but like the, the use of voiceover as like, I, I think it's just very different the way that it's sort of perceived or used in film compared to like the way it could be used in a comic. Cause like in a comic, I feel like you have like the little narration boxes at the top and then you have like the the image below it and I, I i don't know there's just there's something about because you know people often say like if you're doing voiceover in a movie then like you that's failed. an issue <laughs> kind of yeah that it, it is a failure in some ways because like you're failing to depict something on screen and so like you're sort of forced towards this crutch of having to like say it out loud mm-hmm. and it's just interesting because i feel like that that's not really an issue in comics as much but then it becomes more glaring maybe in in an adaptation yeah i would i i it is interesting that you say that because i think that it sort of depends on who you ask and it is it's all kind of related to sort of like the debate about like who's more important in a comics collaboration the writer or the artist and personally i would say it probably depends on the collaboration but it's sort of like the trendy like not not trendy's not fair but i think when you want to sort of like signal that you know you actually know how comics work you like must say the artist right. um and because of that there is then sort of like a fetishization of visual storytelling which like listen i'm all for visual storytelling i love a i love a good visual story but i do think that there is kind of like a branch of comics readership that does feel like if you're including caption boxes or if you're including dialogue there is an element of failure in that and they look back at sort of like the developmental comics of not the developmental comics but you know earlier generations of comics in terms of like silver age comics or things like that or, or even like chris claremont x-men or or even alan moore probably would fall into this which there's so much text in it that they're like this is not how like how comics are supposed to work like there it's a visual medium why is there so much text and like i would agree that sometimes like I, I reread back when we were doing um, the Brian K. Vaughn Swamp thing, I reread Alan Moore's Swamp thing. And like, I would say that's an overwritten comic where there's like too much, there's too much text at times. But I think when there's a drive to be completely visual or like as visual as possible, that kind of defeats the purpose too. Because the whole point is that it's an interaction between text and images. And so strictly images is... A different medium in the same way that strictly text is a different medium and and you know we've talked about like part of the reason that we've chosen to mostly cover writers or i, I guess realistically we've mostly done cartoonists so far and that will continue right. to be true who, who both write and draw but we are more focused on writers because 
that's something that's easier for us to sort of see and follow the through line. And I tend to think that unless you are someone with an art education, that just is is going to be true. And that is the reason that like writers are kind of the the money making names in comics right now. As much as like artists have kind of gone, it's it's a bit cyclical at times. But in the in the same way that like a good cinematographer, and maybe it's it's uh, rude to an artist to compare them to a cinematographer because I think that their role is much more collaborative than maybe a cinematographer would be. But like the writer in a comic, they are dictate like a writer dictates the depiction. If that makes sense. Well, like, again, it depends on the collaboration. I suppose so, yeah. But but it's like if you if you have something like I'm thinking of like Saga, yeah, where it's like Fiona Staples, like if if the book wasn't about what it was about, then mm-hmm. she then her drawings would be of different things. Does that make <laughs> right. sense? Like, yeah, no, I I agree that like most of the time the writer gets the final call, and if the artist sends something back that they're not satisfied with, the artist is or the the writer is going to say, "Can we change this?" and the most of the time the artist is going to say yes because they are like the i guess yeah the 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 writer is just more in sort of like the directorial role as sort of like modern comics creation and collaborations are constructed at least in so far as like not that's almost not true though because like in a way the artist is more the director because they are sort of like framing the shots and they're taking the text and like putting it they're like sort of bringing it to life yeah and it, it again i think it really depends on the collaboration where some writers really leave it in the hands of the artist to be a joint creator of the story in that way and there are other writers who will specify very explicitly sort of what we're supposed to be seeing and from what angle and and might even go back to say like i'm not satisfied with like this this framing or this angle or this what you've chosen to include here i want you know this instead and like that almost reminds me of me on a friday night i'm not a joint joint creator okay (laughs) (laughs) easy ted or paul whichever (laughs) (laughs) whichever one of you loves weed ted loves weed for sure ted Ted definitely loves weed there's no doubt famously smokes a big bong Uh uh so that's his preferred method so he's more of a a toker than a joint creator yes undeniably but anyways all that to say like in some ways i think the voiceover like in i i was thinking about the voiceover because i saw matt reeves the batman um like the day before two days before i watched persepolis and it also prominently features a voiceover which i was like almost shocked by when it started up i was like i can't believe like this is in like this movie a modern blockbuster. yeah but then i was like but like it sounds exactly like the narrative captions in a Batman comic sound like it that's that's what Batman comics are like if you open a Batman comic oh yeah there is going to be a text crawl along the top that is like October 31st tonight I was here and like I saw this and I did this and it reminded me of like the hatred inside me or whatever you know it like that is what reading Batman comics feels like and that is what reading Persepolis feels like because she relates it's it's just i guess it's clearer in the comic which is so, like i so obviously a memoir in a more sort of straightforward way that it's like of course she's like relating stories about her life and and from like the remove of many years could we have done without the voiceover maybe like i do think that the framing device was kind of weird and and by the time we got to the end i was sort of like 
did we need this? Yeah, and then it also, in some ways, feels like they don't use... Like, so I'm thinking about, like, mainly, like, dream sequences, which I, I feel like they are they don't use maybe as much as they could, because obviously, like, a dream is maybe a, a, a trite way, but mm-hmm. <laughs> an easy way to sort of depict internality, right? Like, uh, do they even use the, the whole, like, her talking to God? They do, yeah. There's a few. Well, I know, I know, I know they use it in, like, the climactic one, where it's, like, God and Marx that are sort of both, like, there. I think that's during her overdose. Because I feel like we just did not see that, or at least maybe they just didn't stand out to me as much as in the book. Because, like, that feels like those are, like, the moments where it's very easy to, like, depict her internality. And, like, you're seeing her sort of, like, inherent philosophical struggles laid bare in some way. And I think, like, that sort of inherent philosophical contradiction, like, the God-Marx sort Mm -hmm. of, like, dichotomy is, like, that is maybe uh, simplified but it is like a sort of a way to look at the politics of iran in some way and so i was surprised that they didn't maybe use that as heavily as they might have to to sort of depict that internality Mm -hmm. i mean it does make me kind of like think back again to sort of the the valuing of visuals versus sort of like the use of narrative captions and things like that and i think that you know the total omission of captions just is not as we've kind of already said feasible in comics and and we had that long discussion when we talked about the private eye about how like the internality of the character is not achieved very well a lot of times and part of that is because we have no insight into what he thinks because there is no narrative caption and he's also like a pretty stoic guy who doesn't speak a lot and doesn't you know wear his heart on his sleeve for the most part and so like thinking thinking about the voiceover in the movie where so much more of like you know the music the sound the ability to move um like all those are tools that can be used to express that emotion and that internality in different ways on the other hand like you know the material's already there it's written it's it's yeah i don't know it does it does feel in some ways like memory should be like more of a theme somehow if if you're going to go that route but I, I, yeah i don't know i have a hard time complaining about it because that's that's how it was delivered in the comic could they have made decisions creative decisions to achieve it differently sure but you know they the tools are already kind of right there and on the table i thought yeah. the framing device was kind of weird but i did not really take issue with the voiceover yeah it is a classic like we definitely could not do better yeah <laughs> <laughs> like like I don't, I don't have a suggestion right. <laughs> as I sometimes do uh, as to like what could have been done, because I think it is just like a very paradoxical conundrum. Okay, long awaited. The English voice cast is so crazy. <laughs> the grandmother is portrayed by Gina Rollins, one of like our finest actors of the past like fifty years, I suppose. Her father is portrayed by Sean Penn. <laughs> <laughs> And the weird, I think the weirdest thing about this is like, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. I did not know that it was a celebrity voice cast in any sense of the imagination. It and I didn't is begging for a, a celebrity voice cast though. In some ways, <laughs> what makes you say? It's just that? like it's it's in the era of like, yeah, cele- like oh English dub, time for the celebrity voice cast. Yeah, that's true. Like, let me look at, like, Ponyo and see what, what like... This is even, like, like pre-Ponyo, I think. This is, like, Spirited Away. Well, it's, this is a year before Ponyo. Ponyo is 2008. Oh, pie in my face. Ponyo my face. Uh, 
Sure. <laughs> this is a very good cast. Uh, of course, Noah Cyrus famously played Ponyo, Miley's <laughs> younger sister. And Frankie Jonas <laughs> played Sosuke. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> the bonus Jonas. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they were already in the Disney fold. Sure. Uh, and then you have Tina Fey, Matt David, Kate Blanchett, <laughs> Liam Neeson, Lily Tomlin, Betty White, R.I.P. <laughs> Poor one out. Uh, Cloris Leachman. Do you want... <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> yes. That's like, yes, it, it, you're right that it was like foreign movies getting done and then like what houseman castle well like it's Billy the whole Crystal. it's the whole like all the studio ghibli howl's yeah, movie castle the... is like christian bale and yes and howl Billy is played by christian and, yeah bale. but like yeah all those dubs were happening like around the same time and they all have like at least two if not three like a-list actors attached to them yeah yeah but it is like particularly crazy here because it's like that th- this is <laughs> like a weirdly a double foreign production yeah so because it's like it's iranian but then also people kind of sound french right uh well so no, it's they, like they sean just, penn they, oh oh like the english like the dub they're doing like french oh, yeah, iranian accents no, no, they're not they're not doing fr- but like I feel, and this is another thing I wanted to talk about because I'm talking about like dubs versus subs. Because one thing I often think about, I just watched uh, Evangelion, uh-huh. which is crazy. You should watch that. Cheers. Um, but like, what I always, what I always think about, especially with anime, is like, what does this sound like to a native speaker? Because mm-hmm. like, there there are certain things and like voice deliveries that I associate so distinctly with anime. And I'm sure, like, even you as, like, a non-aficionado yeah. uh, can sort of, like, imagine, like, Lots even just, of like, like, the way, like, da-da-da-da-da! A lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and, like, even the things, like, the way, that, like, people, like, will say a character's name. Yeah. And things like that, like, they, they are so, like, distinctively, like, they just say anime to me. Yeah. And so, in my head, I'm like, what does this sound like when you speak the language? Like, does it sound, like, weird and heightened? Does it sound... I mean, I imagine it doesn't sound normal. I will tell you one part that stood out to me watching the subbed version. When they have the, like, brief history of Iran uh, and, like, the, the Shah's, like, father's ascendancy, when the British guy comes in the french actor is doing a like english person <laughs> speaking french voice where he's like vous somme like blah 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 this <laughs> like completely like removing the french accent and doing like a funny like what i assume in france is like oh like classic like caricature stuffy british version of like he can barely speak french and like like it's easier with the French, obviously, where living in Canada with, like, you know, mild French education, like, we know what French is supposed to sound like generally. We speak some French, and we can tell sort of, like, when someone is, is putting something on in French or doing, like, kind of a voice in French more yeah. easily. Um, so that was, like, a big one that stood out where I was like, this is, like, a joke that translates for me as someone who has, like, a very low-level baseline understanding of french i think then that sort of leads me to be like do i not like and then again this is maybe more particular to anime because i do think that the voice performances in this are like pretty good and like pretty like pretty like naturalistic but like i almost feel like the otherness sort of like makes has some like quality to it like the fact that it is not my native language 
imbues it with some quality that makes it feel as if it is like coming from another place almost there, if that makes sense it's, like, it's the same as like kind of what we talked about when we did the comic i talked about how like translated versions often at some point pull me out because i'm like this is obviously translated i think dubs do the same thing to me often both live action and animated at some point there will just be like a truncated phrase or like a weird delivery or something that I'm like, oh, this is dubbed and like reminds me that it's dubbed in such a like in your face kind of way that it breaks the immersion for a second. Yeah. And I I was actually I didn't mention this before, but I was watching with I was watching dubbed with with the (laughs) subtitles, but (laughs) with the subtitles of the original like right. that makes that's sense? that i think is what often happens like for example i was watching uh kuroko's basketball on netflix for a while and at one point they put out a season only in english but i wanted to keep watching so i started watching in english but the subtitles were still on and it just seems to be like like it obviously was just the subs from the japanese version like they right. didn't retranslate the subtitles um right and, and it was funny to see the like differences and disparities there. I think that's kind of the default, is that it's already been translated for subbing purposes, so they're not going to change it for the dub, which probably has like a little bit more put into the translation to make it like readable. More naturalistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also Iggy Pop as Uncle Ishi. <laughs> truly crazy. I, right before we started recording was watching the documentary film rumble which is about uh but the wrestling animals no Roman Reigns. <laughs> it is about uh like the the impact of indigenous music musicians on pop music in north america and iggy Sounds pop good. is featured giving a like prominent <laughs> interview and when he came up i almost sent you a snap to be like iggy pop double feature but i started laughing <laughs> so hard imagining him doing uncle anoush because he's like he's like he comes on he's like Link Ray rocked harder than maybe anyone I've ever met or like ever seen. I'm <laughs> just like this guy did a news like this. But they're all so just like crazy. giving performances. They're all just like, I'm going to the passport office with my friend. Would you like to come? <laughs> like that's what everyone sounds like. <laughs> it's just like, what are we doing? Um, Rumble, of course, a movie about like a wrestling monster. Will Arnett, Geraldine Viswanathan, Terry Crews, Fred Melamed, Charles Barkley <laughs> as Rayburn Sr., Steve's late champion father, Ben Schwartz, Brian Baumgartner. <laughs> wow, this is a great cast. Is Tony Danza. The 2021 film? Stephen A. Smith! Yes. Stephen A. Smith? Surely is himself. This is a Paramount Plus original. Oh. He is playing, essentially, himself. yes, he's, Stephen A. Smith plays Mark Remy, a monster wrestling commentator. And Michael Buffer plays an announcer. <laughs> Classic. Uh, I'll bet he says, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we do awards talk? No, I don't. I don't think so. In the spirit of this being a 90 minute movie, we are <laughs> truncating. <laughs> we, we try and make it that as long as it takes you to read to consume the media that we are talking about oh, is how long the episode should be. i think we have overshot that mark many many times <laughs> perhaps we're probably gonna just barely clear 90 minutes here so we're, we're in good shape but you there was nothing else that you wanted to yeah i don't think so like i did enjoy it i had a good time watching it it did you know it ebbed and flowed for me and i think that is kind of 
to be expected when you have a movie that is so vignette and has so many scenes. Some of them are going to be more engaging than others when there's not like a strong through line, um, narratively speaking. But I did enjoy it overall. Obviously, we've talked at some length about some of the issues that I had with it. But I think, you know, I can I can appreciate some of the obstacles and challenges that they probably faced as far as what they were able to do, had the time to do, had the budget to do, had the desire to do. Um, and so I think for a, a movie that is trying to adapt the comic quite faithfully, like, as you said, I couldn't do better. And, and I, I had a good time with it, despite some of the things that I maybe would have chosen to do differently, just from like a philosophical level. It's an interesting one for me. And I do feel like we sometimes err too heavily on the negative, which maybe is a problem. But yeah, for me, like, I think if I just watched this cold, I'd be like, that was a good movie, like, really, really strong. And I think that it's just a case of like, the, the, the ways that it lacks stick out so much more but then again it's like i have a, someone who like had not read the novel who saw like the same thing so maybe it is like a bit of a universal thing that like it is just lacking a little bit in creating that like full picture even though like the story like just like the life story is probably strong enough to stand on its own and be like a movie unto itself but compared to the book which i really 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 like it just came away a little bit lacking for me um, the critics did not agree. <laughs> uh, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. I, I And, you know, I think that there's an element of that that is similar to the, like, critical uh, adoration and, like, adulation that the comics saw, which is, like, yeah. obviously it's good. It's great um, in its own right. And I think that there's an element of it that is, like, instantly able to recognize, like, this is important, kind of, like, regardless of whether or not it's, like, good. Not not that it's, not to say it's not good, but, like, <laughs> it, it obviously is very good. But, like, you know, it's it's important, and that sort of transcends any of the aesthetic qualities of it. Right. It is deserving of, like, attention and celebration. Yeah. Just, like, for what it is beyond, like, whether it is a great work or not. And I also sort of wonder, like, does it feel more innovative or like original if you haven't read the comic and so like you know i think if you haven't read the comic then most of what you focus on is like these interesting sort of vignettes and the ways that it paints iran mm -hmm. in in something that is in a way that is different from what you would probably be accustomed to or expecting and yeah. so probably that is what sticks with you more than the aesthetic qualities yeah. as you said and and i think it's probably also very different visually from what people would expect in terms right. of like when's the last time you saw a black and white animated movie that didn't have steamboat willie in it and and you know we talked about sort of like the shadow theater this kind of visual conceit like it does it looks very different from what you would expect in an animated movie especially it just it yeah it looks very different from what you would expect from like a Disney or a Pixar or sure, a DreamWorks sure, or, definitely. you know, any any of the North American animation studios. Yeah. And I feel like at that time, especially that like, there was like a weird sort of like bias towards those kinds of films where it's like just because like something that breaks the mold was so rare mm -hmm. that like people, I think, were also more inclined to celebrate right. like anything that's not in kind of the house style. Right. Exactly. This premiered at as Mr. Bean would say, cod. <laughs> you ever seen Mr. Bean's holiday? 
I have at some point, not recently. He goes to Khan. Yeah, got and it. And he is very excited. He, like, points at his ticket. Uh-huh. Um, like, he goes to the, the film f- festival, or he just visits, like, the, the region? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's funnier if he's going to the film festival. <laughs> I believe it was covered on, uh, of, of course, the great Emilio Diaz has been a guest on this program. I believe that they covered Mr. Bean's Holiday on their podcast, Can I Kick It? And so I believe he must have gone to the film festival. On the platform at Gare de Lyon, Bean asks Russian movie director Emil Duchevsky to film him boarding the train using his new video camera. I don't know if he like actually attends the festival. Oh no, they they do go to the f- festival. Yes. Oh, <laughs> they are picked up by <laughs> French actress Sabine on her way to the 2006. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm spoilers for Mr. Bean's holiday. So skip ahead 30 seconds if you want to hear this. <laughs> At the festival, Sabine is shocked to see that her role has mostly been trimmed from the film. Feeling bad for her, Bean plugs his video camera into the projector and projects his video diary, replacing the movie visuals with his own. The footage and Bean's shenanigans align well with Clay's narration, and the director, (laughs) Sabine, and Bean all receive standing ovations. (laughs) I mean, this has got to be a hit. Sabine, say less. Um... Say bien. your favorite mr bean sketch have we already talked about this on the podcast well i think that we as a family we often go back to the one where he's trying to change into his swimsuit well that's certainly my number one with a bullet yeah and i think the exam is one that's always been a big one for me yes the exam is good the turkey also always funny of course there's like the the whole the whole christmas like one because there's one where he like goes to a church as well i think in the christmas special that that one I think we've sort of exhausted all the ones that I'm familiar with. For the most part. <laughs> it's worth it's worth a revisit. It's pretty like timeless. <laughs> sure, yes, I would. That is how I would describe it. Yes, uh, the Palm Door that year went to four months, three weeks, and two days. The Romanian drama art house film. Are you familiar with this one? No. Tells the story of two students who try to procure an illegal abortion heard good things have not seen the film uh also premiering in competition uh death proof the quentin tarantino mm-hmm. half of grindhouse uh diving bell and the butterfly my blueberry nights the famous wong kar wai english language film that was like a weird failure in some ways mm-hmm. uh no country for old men we own the night the james gray movie and zodiac <laughs> Uh, so some fun ones. I'm gonna see if anything fun was premiering out of comp. Oh, Sicko by Michael Moore. Uh, happy Morch to everyone. Oh boy. Uh, do you know about Morch? I got the premise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, U two three D premiered out of competition. Uh, did you know? Do you know about how Shrek two premiered at Con? Uh, I have heard about this. Yes. <laughs> Just a good bit. It did win the jury prize. It did. For outstanding storytelling? Something like that? Um, I don't know. I just know that the jury prize is just like something that is awarded. It's like, it's not the Palm Door, uh-huh. but it is something. Where's Amelia when you need him? Truly. <laughs> we do not know what we're doing here. Uh, and it also, it was shared with Silent Light, which is not a movie I've heard of. Uh, filmed Love in a Mennonite song. colony in Mexico. Sounds oh, interesting. Does sound interesting. Um, and then, of course, it was nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Animated Film. Where it lost where... to? 
Ratatouille, baby. Tough, tough to argue. Yeah, that's I. I was looking at the letterbox reviews for this movie, and someone was like, "How did this lose to Ratatouille? The Academy is so stupid. I'll never forget." I'm like, <laughs> "Is this a better movie than Ratatouille?" Yeah, y'all seen Ratatouille? Listen, Anton Ego doesn't like food. He loves it, and when he doesn't like it, he doesn't swallow. So so true. Um, oh, it was also the uh, French submission for foreign language film, which it did not. It was not nominated. Wow, snub. It, it was nominated for the Golden Globes for foreign language film, though, right? Oh, is this? Are you baiting me into something here? No, I'm, or are you just sure. asking, a que- I'm asking a question. Yes, it was nominated for the Golden Globe. It lost to Diamond Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, wow! The Golden Globe category is weirdly way better than the Academy Award one. It was called Best Foreign Language at the time, but The Counterfeiters, which is an Austrian film, ended up winning. Uh, at the Academy Awards that year. Not a lot of movies I have heard of, I must say. Um, the the other nominee for Best Animated Feature was Surf's Up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thankfully that didn't win. Not that there's anything wrong with Surf's Up. But uh, 2007 Golden Globes, the nominees were Diving Bell and the Butterfly, four mo- which won? Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, which is the Palm winners we discussed. Mm-hmm. The Kite Runner... Uh, Lust Caution, the Ang Lee movie, mm-hmm. erotic drama, and then Persepolis. So I feel like uh, the Golden Globe kind of takes the cake here. There's some Good really list. strong, uh, really strong categories here. <laughs> House of Flying Daggers got the nomination. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle got the nomination. <laughs> Just some really strong stuff. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's the extent of my uh, awards talk. I know it's not as robust as <laughs> you used to. Do we, do we want to look at some other Oscars? Nope. Uh, no Country for Old Women wins Best Picture. Daniel Day-Lewis wins Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Bardem. He's got a big silence shotgun. He's got like that cow killing thing. He really does in a big way. Uh, Juno wins Best Original Screenplay. Nice. Some fun wins. Yep. Um, but yeah, so anything else? <laughs> I'm good. Um... <laughs> Classic ended on a high note. Yeah, <laughs> going out strong. You know how we do it. Um, well, next week... Next we week we doing... have Chicken with Plums, the comic, and the movie. <laughs> yes. This is what because it says. <laughs> we're unhinged and, uh, and can't be stopped. Yes, and that will, I think, technically not mark the end of our Satrapy series because we have a bonus episode. Oh, right. Which you will not be. Yeah, you're taking care of that, right? Out of protest, yes, I will. I'm not doing it out of protest. I'm mostly doing it out of uh, disinterest, lack of insight. (laughs) Well, you think I have insight? I think you know people who have insight. (laughs) Very rude of you to say. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Chicken with plums next week. The graphic novel and the film Mm -hmm. that will sort of mark the the end of our comics discussion of Margin Satrapy, if I can spoil what's forthcoming but yeah so is that a spoiler i don't know <laughs> that's what i was not... gonna say do we want to talk about what's next after that oh about no no no. we can talk about that next week we'll tell people what is going on on the docket but we will get to that and so yes next episode we will let you know what is happening for uh for next time in terms of our next uh artist mm-hmm. and that will be exciting i'm excited for that one but Follow us on Twitter 
at what is it got the runs pod yes it is i can also confirm that you have literally never just said it you've needed confirmation every time literally from day one i never we need to i don't know what the answer is got the runs pod got the runs the name of the show plus pod pod here comes the boom got the runs pod on twitter pod was the band that did here comes the boom got it you look confused um email us gotthrunspod at gmail.com check that out um yeah that's pretty much it right yeah i think so all right (laughs) well do your tippity taps and we will leave our audience in peace until next time to To be be continued continued. Uh, uh, (laughs) great ending uh, noosh a noosh huh i was trying to come up with something to say i just i settled on anoush anoush (laughs) anon like anon yeah yeah (laughs) that's all staying in i'm stopping my recording